Christ's master key for prosperity. Now, there was a time in the church when I started as a Christian, nobody ever talked about prosperity. Then there was a time 20, 30 years ago where every charismatic church in the world, they were teaching about success and prosperity. And frankly, some went overboard. And now we are in a time when nobody wants to talk about it. So uh, people are scared. They said, oh, don't talk about that. that people will be offended. Well, I've always had the idea that I'm going to teach what the Bible says. I'm going to teach it whether it's popular or not. And frankly, we are living in a time where God is involved with people. And I will say to you, we need this. Whatever age you're at, maybe you have short time left on this earth and one day you'll go to heaven and we, we applaud you for that. Or you're just starting out on life and some young people that I met here this morning, I tell you, God has a plan for increase and prosperity for you. Now, we define prosperity as, as to be who God intended you to be. Nothing more, nothing less. To have what God intended you to have. And the ability to do what God intended you to do. And you need to have what God intended you to have uh, to be able to do what God intended you to do. So if some person may have some great task that involves a lot of uh, needs, for example, financial or physical needs. Well, they, they, they just having that and having more than enough. Whatever we have is not just having the need met, but super abundantly. And so today I want to start by telling you two success stories from uh, the scripture. The first success story is about a man who lived before the law. He lived under grace like you and I, and he's a person who uh, didn't seem to be driven to gain wealth. He was driven by destiny, by serving God, and uh, yet God prospered him a lot. And um, he enjoyed a long life a long life of prosperity and God's blessing. How many would like to have something similar? So that's one of the fellows. And then the second person was also living under God's grace. He was also a person who exercised some faith. But the, the second person, though God's grace was extended to him, was very much driven by ambition. He, he, he was looking to be rich. The first one didn't seem to be looked for that. Uh, the second one, he seemed to be always scheming, looking for a shortcut. And, you know, he enjoyed some limited prosperity. And in the end, by God's grace, everything turned out all right for him. But I would rather look at the first person. The first person I'm thinking of is Abraham. And I say he prospered by responding to God's grace, God's favor to him. After he had made a huge mistake, he was actually lying. He made all kinds of other mistakes. But you know something about Abraham? He kept trusting in God's grace even when he failed. And it says after this one failure in Genesis 13 two, Abraham was rich. He was in fact very rich in livestock, silver, and gold. And it's obvious it was not his scheming. It was God's grace. Later on, his chief of staff, Eliezer, when he was describing Abraham, he said in Genesis 24, the Lord has blessed my master greatly and he has become great and he has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And so his testimony was that God has blessed him. That's a wonderful testimony that someone would speak over you and say, God has blessed her. God has blessed him. 
So this man Abraham, in his very first encounter with God, the first command he received was, leave everything. Leave everything. Now, he lived in a place called Ur that commercially was a strategic place. It seems like his family for generations had built a business there. Uh, and so it would have been logical for Abraham to say, well, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to build on what my dad and grandfather built up and I'm going to prosper here. But God said, leave it, leave it. So then he went to a place called Haran, another city which was also a commercial center. And he settled there for a while and it seems like his dad established a business there. And again, he could have thought, well, I'm going to stay here and obviously the Lord is blessing my dad and I'm going to build on that. It would have been a logical thinking. But God says to him, leave it because I have something else for you. I have a promised land. You could say that Abraham is an example of what Jesus was talking about when he said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added to you. And so Abraham was, he was, he was stepping out now. And, and, and you read in Hebrews 11, 6, 11, 10, it says about Abraham, he looked for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. He said he was always looking for something that was a solid foundation built on God, seeking God's kingdom. And yet, you know, when he arrived in the promised land, what did he meet? There was a famine. There were enemies. He would have had every reason to think, hey, I made my life's biggest mistake. I should have stayed and prospered in the area where we already had something going. Now I'm going here and I'm following God. I'm leaving all that behind. And, and here, you know, it's just a famine. So he actually escaped to Egypt where there was food. He had to do that. And when he got to Egypt, he got more problems. So, so much for his prosperity, more problems. And then, then God blessed him there. But, you know, Abraham had this kind of sense of he burned his bridges. He said, I'm going all the way. I think that's what the songwriter meant when he sang about, I, I surrender to Jesus. I surrender to Jesus. I'm, I'm going all the way. I'm seeking first God's kingdom. He believed God even when it looked hopeless, when he looked like he made his, his biggest mistake. We, we got to note Abraham's generosity. That's kind of important. You know, it says one time a couple of strangers came and he invited them. He was hospitable and he didn't know that they were angels. So he entertained angels unaware, the scripture says. He had this generosity about it. He uh, when, when later on in life, somebody, and there was probably some strings attached, wanted to give a free burial plot for his wife. He said, no, no, I'm going to pay for it. I don't want any strings attached anywhere. You know, when he had a problem with the family members, I don't know if you've ever had a problem with a family member. Maybe not. Maybe you have. It could happen. I heard a, a faint yes. Uh, his nephew Lot, they were feuding. It was a business feuding. It was over money. You know, most fights is over money. Have you noticed that? If there's no money, there's nothing to fight over. So they were fighting over uh, the best uh, feeding grounds. And so Lot and Abraham, they, 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 their, their servants were fighting. And Abraham showed this generosity. He said, well, you go ahead, Lot. Even though I brought you with me, you know, you came with me. You were part of the entourage. I was really the one God called. I could pick whatever area I want. But you pick whatever area you want. And at that time, the Jordan Valley towards the Dead Sea, it was like the Garden of Eden, the Bible says. It was a beautiful area. So, of course, the nephew said, 
I want the best. I want, I want that water land. And so, so he took it. He took that. So you, you can have that. I'll trust God. He had this kind of generosity. And, and, and you know, then there was a conflict about money. Everybody say money. That's why people fight. They say, they say divorces are very peaceful unless there's money involved. So, 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 so I'm just leaving that thought with you. Uh, not that we want to encourage divorce, but at least do it when you're poor. But anyhow, that, that's, uh, that's what they tell us. It's all about money. It comes down to the money. And, 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 and so there was a war about uh, taxation. Uh, certain kings were saying, well, I want to collect the taxes. And another was saying, no, I want to collect the taxes. And there were actually five kings fighting and Abraham was on the winning side. He was with the winning side of those kings. And, uh, and he was actually offered a deal by the king of Sodom, which was a flourishing city at that time. But here's something about Abraham. He knew that God was his source. So when he was offered this, he said, Genesis 14, I will take nothing from a thread to a sandal strap and, and that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. He said, I don't want anybody to talk, talk about that. They made me rich. He, he, he said, I'm going to prosper God's way. And that's what I'm teaching about here. You know, I'm not giving you a, a course. We could talk about all kinds of human wisdom principles, and there are many of them that are good. But uh, that's not why we have church today. I'm here talking about God's way to prosper. So in, in Abraham's attitude, there was no deception. There was no exploitation of others. When it came to then which seems so abhorrent to us that, that, that he was going to offer his son, Isaac. You know, that seems so crazy. Why, why was he even willing to do it? Well, the Bible tells us because Abraham believed that God was so great, he would raise him immediately right back up again. So he believed in the resurrection, and therein he is likened to us. But after that test, what happened? Then God spoke again, I'll bless you in blessing. I'll bless you in multiplication. I will multiply you. Your seed shall be as great as the dust on the earth. You know, he, he speaks these blessings to him. And, and so Abraham, let, let's just, as I look at this first person, I say the following, just, just follow with me. Abraham was under God's grace. That means he's very similar to us. We don't live under the Hebrew Jewish law. We live under the grace of God. And he prospered under God's grace. And then secondly, Abraham left everything to follow God. It doesn't mean he left every family. Maybe he took some of them with him. But he left that system. That system of finance that he had known in those previous cities, he said, I I'm going to trust God. And then Abraham continued in faith when everything looked hopeless. In other words, when it looked like I made the biggest mistake, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to quit on God. I'm not going to quit on God's destiny. That's a prophetic word for someone this morning. I'm not giving up. And then Abraham prospered God's way. That's very important. I keep emphasizing this because, you know, there are many ways to prosper. But what we are wanting for every person and what I think is so paramount in the days in which we're living right now, you know, during COVID, we, we could get away uh, with not uh, believing God too much because it seemed like the government was taking care of you. Well, those days are over and prices are going up. So I'm telling you, prosperity, God's way is what I'm talking about. Then Abraham generously put God first. 
you know, putting God first, the first fruits. It, it says, uh, you know, in that incident of, of the victory over those kings in the, in the conflict over taxation, and by the way, they always tell us, you know, that religion causes wars, but for those of you in university, the truth is that money causes war. Why do you think they all fight for Ukraine? It's one of the biggest breadbaskets of the world. But anyhow, let's move out beyond that here. And so in this particular war here, after the victory was won, this person appears seemingly out of nowhere called Melchizedek. He was the king of peace. He was the king of righteousness. And we believe he was the priest of the most high God. We believe he is an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And he came with bread and wine, which pictures the communion. And, he, and, and, and there, Abraham was there interacting with Melchizedek. And we know later on in the book of Hebrews that Melchizedek is indeed a picture of Jesus Christ or an appearance of Jesus Christ, at least a picture of Jesus Christ. And then he says, Genesis 14, 20, Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe of everything. You've heard us use the expression tithing. How many have heard of that? And I want to make it very clear that if you hear us say we're bringing offerings and tithes, it may not mean what you think it means. Because depending on your upbringing, where you came from, you may have heard that expression so many times. So you assume that when you hear us speak about it here, that we mean exactly the same. And you know what we are talking about. Now, a tithe means the first 10% of our increase. But the way Abraham tithe is very different from the way I would say many churches, at least that I know, how they operate the tithe. Because we do not tithe according to the old covenant. People say, well, you know, isn't tithing done away with because we're not under the old covenant? Well, it is in that sense. Abraham was not in the old covenant. He was before the old covenant. He lived hundreds of years before the old covenant. And so, you know, many churches today, when the pastor says we're going to give tithes and offerings, he is talking about Malachi. Uh, at prophet Malachi, where you were told to tithe, to break the curse, to open the windows of heaven, and to defeat the devil. Well, if you are tithing today, and we hope you are, I'm not going to analyze, you know, what the reason is, but I'm telling you, if you're tithing to break the devil's curse, or to break the devil, or to open the windows of heaven, you are climbing up the wrong ladder. You're not doing any good because I got news for you. Jesus already opened the heaven. Jesus already defeated the devil. Jesus already became a curse for us. So if that's the way you're going about tithing, hey, I think you're missing out on something. So when we talk about it here, just since it came up in my scripture reading now, I want to say what we are talking about is like Abraham. He celebrated. He wasn't told tithe or else. He did it willingly. It was a celebration not of a victory that was to come. It was a celebration of a victory that already, already occurred. We are not celebrating or giving tithes or offerings for a future victory. We are giving because Jesus has already won the victory. And so that, that's what we are talking about. All right, okay. Second person, Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, he was slow to respond to God's grace. Jacob was slow to respond to God's grace. Now they put two things together there. You see that? Jacob was slow to respond to God's grace. He was a greedy fellow. Don't look at anybody. He was scheming. 
thinking who he could cheat a little bit. He didn't know anything about God's economy. He didn't even know the secret to his grandfather's wealth. Uh, he's always coming up with deals. You know, he was supposed, he had a twin brother Esau, and the birthright always went to the oldest son. But now God had promised that he would work it in such a way that Jacob would receive the birthright. But you know that God is able to do it on his own. He didn't need uh, Jacob to scheme, but he did. He waited till his twin brother was at a very vulnerable spot. He was starving. <laughs> he said, hey, I got some soup here, but sign over the birthright first. See, he was, he was, he was anxious for it. Then he wanted, the second part of it was the blessing. And so he was really mama's boy, you know. I don't know, mama had a favorite. I don't think mama should have favorites, but, the, but he had a favorite. There was, uh, Jacob was the favorite, so they were scheming because uh, daddy and Isaac, he was getting a little bit dim-sighted. And so they kind of dressed up Jacob to look like his older twin brother Esau. And, and it made his hair, put, put some animal skin to make him furry, and, 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 and he got his father to give him the blessings. He's, see, God could have arranged it another way. He's always scheming, always coming up with something, always trying up a, a shortcut, you know. And so he, he got it that way. Now, the tragedy is, do you know that he never saw his mother again after that? Kind of, that's a lot of sad things, you know. Then he got hooked up with his uncle Laban. And those were two con men getting together. You know, something happens when two con men get together. It, it's kind of, it, it's who's going to out-con who, you know. And so he, he wants to marry Laban's daughter. There's this pretty girl called Rachel. And, and he, he wants to marry her. And, and so he has to work for seven years. But his father-in-law cons him. So he, so he gets to marry someone else who is, shall we say, not as pretty. And, 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 and he cons him again. So he worked seven more years and all this. So, of course, Jacob is being a con man himself and being a schemer. says, well, you know, you can't out-con a con, so I'm going to con you back. And so they made this kind of financial deal that, that certain part of the herds that looked a certain way of the cattle, they were born with certain patterns, they would belong to Jacob. And I guess he knew a little bit about DNA without knowing the word DNA, and a little bit about, you know, breeding and biology, and he was able to manage this in such a way that when the calves were born and the little sheep, you know, the little lambs were born, they had this kind of pattern on them. So they were just going at it back and forth. Do you see that? Yeah, he was living under God's grace, but he wasn't receiving much good from it, was he? He's just scheming, scheming, scheming. Come on now. A lot of bad things happen. You know, he had idolatry in his household, his own wife, the pretty one. She had little idols hidden in the closet. I hope your wife doesn't do that or your husband, little, little, little idols hidden there in the drawer. And, and, and there was rape. One of his daughters was raped. Two of his sons became mass murderers. One committed incest. I mean, he had a painful life. And then, and then his older brother, he's still in the, the story. He comes with 400 soldiers and, and he's going to be like this kind of, you know, at high noon. And Jacob gets scared and he's, he's praying, God, help me. And he wrestles with God. You know, you know that famous thing, he wrestled and his name changed to Israel. By the way, Israel means struggle with God. The name Israel means struggle with God. It's a nation today, struggle with God. And, 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 and then he finally receives blessing, but not after he is hit on his, on his hip, so he kind of limps. It seems like he had, to, he had to become weak before he really knew, I need God. I can't get this by scheming. 
So what do we learn from, uh, from Jacob and Abraham? We learn our response to God's grace doesn't change God, it changes us. Do you see that? God's grace was the same for both of them. God's grace is flowing to you. you you're just as favored from God as every other human being. Nobody has anything greater than you have. You are favored. Christ is in you. Everybody say, Christ is in me. And so our, our response to God doesn't change God. Maybe you made yourself hard-headed and you say, I'm not going to believe. I'm not going to trust. Well, God still loves you. His favor is flowing to us. But if we don't respond to God's grace or how we respond, it changes us. It either hardens our hearts, opens our heart for more. How many want to respond good to God's grace? Amen. So I'm talking about Christ's master key to prosperity. But first of all, I want to say something about poverty. Poverty is not a sin. Oh, that went over well. No sin being poor. I want to give you six reasons from the Bible. Are you ready? It's going to happen very quickly. Like in about three minutes, you get six reasons. Are you with me? There's reasons why people are poor according to the Bible. The one is living under oppression. The people of Israel, they were slaves in Egypt. Naturally, it was not conducive to prosperity. And what they needed to believe for was deliverance. Now, could God help them individually? Of course, God's promises are true. There are people who, who live in countries of oppression today. So, so God will help them. God will sustain them. You may have heard about God providing bread and, and God helping. Absolutely. But there's a limitation. That's why many of you have come to Canada because you say, I want to live in a society where it's easier to prosper. Thank God that we have the ability to prosper in Canada. Can I hear an amen to that? You know, some people say, oh, the church is under duress. Yeah, but not, not so much really. Look at the history. Um, we're not being put in jail for coming to church. Come on now. We are in a country where you can prosper. Thank God for that. Now, second reason for uh, poverty is some choose poverty. Some, some people make a vow of poverty. I'm not criticizing them. I'm just saying if you want to make a vow of poverty, I, I'm not criticizing you, but uh, you'll be poor. Nothing wrong. I mean, Jesus, he chose poverty. He said he was so very rich. Yet for our sakes, he became poor that we through his poverty might be rich. Paul chose poverty sometimes. He says, I know how to abase and abound. So he said, I, I could abound, but sometimes for the sake of the gospel, I go to places where things are not too good. And, and uh, you know, I don't sleep very comfortable. I, I, I don't have all the comforts, but I do it for the gospel. Doesn't mean he was poor. It just means that he, he, he made that choice that uh, I'm going to serve Jesus. I've, I've had that experience. I've been treated very nice some places and I, I've, I've slept on cement floors and I have, uh, yeah, never, don't let me tell you all my sorrows. Let me just go on here. The, the, why poverty? So uh, that's one reason. Another one is poverty because we are tested. Just like Abraham, you know, he went to the promised land and, and, and there was famine. So things weren't very good. He's being tested. Another reason for poverty is not participating in God's economy, in the new covenant of giving and receiving, not believing when it says that, uh, beloved, I wish above all you would prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. You don't want to participate in that. Say, I, I, I don't believe. I'm going to do it on my own. Okay. God still loves you. God's grace is towards you. You can receive it or you can just uh, reject it. But uh, not participating. It leads to poverty. You know, we think I hoard, I hoard, I hoard. It's going to lead to riches. It leads to the opposite. You know, he that sows, he that gives generously, receives generously. 
But if you say sparingly, well, then, then the result is that. And another reason why people are poor is because of laziness. You know, some people are just lazy. Yeah, they don't want to work. And I, I tell you, work is a good thing. Now, I know we live in an economy now. They call it hybrid. So you work from home and you work at the office. And that's totally okay. But I want to say something to young people. Since I used to be young, uh, especially you young men, I don't think hybrid work is good for you. I think it's good for a young man to get up early Monday morning because that gets you to bed in time on Sunday night. So maybe if you've been around for hybrid work, it's good. You work at home and work today, whatever they say. But I would say for young men, I don't think it's particularly good to sit in your underwear in your mother's basement when you're at 12 o'clock noon and say, I'm working from home. No, you need to get up. You need to, you need to, I think it's good for you. Get up, do something. It'll make you a nicer person for some wonderful girl from this church to marry. Oh, come on, come on, stir it up a little bit. You know, so I, 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 I don't want to pick on the young men, but I, I, it's easier for me to pick on the young men since I was a young man. Uh, you know, I never was a young woman. At least I kind of have those things clear. And another reason, oh, let me read the scripture for this. It says in Proverbs, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall your poverty come on you like a prowler and your need like an armed man. There you have it. Another reason for poverty is God can trust some people with wealth. There's one fellow in the book of Proverbs. He prays a prayer. He says like this, God, give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you. So maybe that you could pray like that. Say, God, please don't prosper me. Because if you prosper me, I won't come to church. I, I won't pray anymore. I'll be in New Orleans on Saturday, and next Saturday I'll be in London, England. I don't have time anymore, so it's better for you to just stay poor. Can I hear an amen to that? You know, just don't give me too much. But on the other hand, it would be more desirable if you say, God, you can trust me. I, 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 no matter how much you prosper me with, uh, I'm going to be like Abraham. I'm going to put you first. I'm going to seek your kingdom first. I'm going to be a giver. I'm going to be a sower. Come on, come on. If that, I hope that that rings true with you. Now, now here I'm getting to my topic, Christ's master key for prosperity. Let's read Jesus' uh, warning words here in Mark 10. I'm teaching all this for a reason. We need to be more awakened in this area today than ever. I more than ever believe for individuals to prosper. Now, it means different things for different people. You may be at the very high age. Well, you're still here. You're still breathing. So what about the year that you have left before you go to heaven? We'll see you in heaven. What about the two years? What about the 20 years or the 30 years? If you're starting out in life. So here comes from the, from the lips of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, Mark 10, 23, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Wow. See, there went my whole sermon. Do you see that? How hard it is. How hard it is. You say, well, I don't want to be rich. I want to slip into the kingdom easy. How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Oh, my goodness. And it says the disciples were astonished at his words. Now, notice the disciples were astonished. You know, in many churches, if you quoted that, if you just said what Jesus said, nobody would be astonished. They would say, that's right. 
God wants everybody poor. But obviously the disciples had read the story of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Solomon. And they said, well, what is this new teaching? What, what is, aren't those people David and Solomon and all of them, aren't they in the kingdom of God? So they were astonished. They were shocked. I hope you're shocked at those words. But let's keep reading. Jesus answered, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches. So here Jesus defines it more. He doesn't say have riches, but trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. That's the difference between having and trusting, because you can have without trusting in it. It is easier, here it comes, for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is using hyperbole like he often does. He says, he's basically saying, don't trust in riches. You trust in riches, it's easier to squeeze a camel through the eye of a needle. You know, if you trust in it. You know, there's a man in the Bible, Uzziah, when he was a young man, he really trusted God. And it says about him, when he sought the Lord, God made him to prosper. There you have a beautiful principle. When he sought the Lord, the Lord made him to prosper. And then it says, but when he became strong, he became prosperous, his heart was lifted up with pride and it led to his destruction. So he began to trust in riches. That way we get, we talk about love of money. People say, well, the love of money is the root of evil. No, money is not evil. The love of money is the root of evil. Money can be used for good things. You know, we're tempted when it comes to love of money because of social status and security. And what Jesus is saying, you know, if you're going to trust in money, you cannot serve two masters. But he's not saying that money is evil. Money is good. Think of all the good things we have done. Think about the good things we have done in, for example, Myanmar after the military coup there, how we have helped those people who are hearing bullets whiz by almost daily. I thank God money can be used for good things. You need money, don't you? I'm not talking about something you don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, obviously, something you got here today, you, you, you came here by, by public transportation or by car or by bus or by something, you're dressed, you look pretty nice. Look, at your neighbors. You look like you're nicely dressed. Uh, you know, so, so you, you know what's going on. And so, so then it even says, you know, when Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 7 30, he says, those who buy as though they didn't possess. He talks about if you're weeping, it's like you're not weeping, you know, and if you're rejoicing, it's like you're not rejoicing. And, and, if, and if you're buying things, he says, you can buy things, but, 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 it's like you didn't possess because he's saying you're living with an eternal perspective. The principle is have possessions, but possessions must not have you. So, you know, if the possessions don't have you, it doesn't matter how much you have because it doesn't have you. You have it. And you can only give away what you have. You can't give away what owns you, <laughs> you see, because I can't give. Well, it, it, it may, maybe something owns you. Maybe that possession has you in, in their grip. And so anyhow, Jesus made this statement, oh, about the eye of the needle and the camel. And then it says in the next verse, the disciples were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? They're scratching their head saying, who can be saved? They still haven't heard what he said about trusting in riches versus having riches. They, they're just in a shock. This is like, who's going to be saved? And then Jesus said the famous words, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. All right? 
And then it says in the next verse, Peter. You know Simon Peter? He would always have something to add to the conversation. Have you ever met people who have always something to add? I mean, some people speak on everything. Never mind. I'm not going to give you an illustration. So Peter said, see, we have left all and followed Jesus. See, we've left all. He's still on that early part. He's forgotten about with God all things are possible. We just went in one ear and out the other. Just missed that whole part. He's still about entering the kingdom. He says, well, Lord, if anybody's going to be saved, it's got to be me because I left everything. I left my fishing business. I mean, if anybody's going to make it, it's us. You see, he's a little bit self-righteous. He says, Lord, Lord I, I, I'm, going to be, I'm going to be in the front line in heaven. Reserve a seat at the head table next door to Jesus. I'm sitting right there because I left everything. He's missing the whole point. Now I'm coming to Christ's master key. How many want to prosper more? How many believe it's time to prosper more? You're not too old. You're not too young for it. All right, here it comes. So Jesus answered. This is staggering. Put aside your telephones. Put aside your whatever else. Pay attention. Not that you were looking on the telephones. I didn't see anybody doing it, but just in case I missed something. This is staggering. Jesus answered Simon Peter. He said, children, how hard it is. No, no, he answered him saying, surely I say to you, wrong verse. As surely, everybody say, as surely. He said, this is for real. This is, now pay attention. As surely I say to you, there is no one means that there's no exception here. No one is in the first row. No one is in the last row. Everybody is on the same level. No one who has left house, that's real estate, or brother or sister or fa father or mother or wife or children or lands, means family relationships, for my sake and the gospels, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands with the persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. Now, this is quite a staggering statement. After Jesus has warned them of the allure of riches, he has warned them about trusting in riches, he just flips like that. And he says, I tell you, whoever has left, and he lists a number of things, for my sake and the gospel, there is no such person. And there may be some of you, I'm speaking to you, maybe when you came to Christ, somebody didn't want to hang out with them anymore. Maybe it was even a family member. You know, God sees that. I hope that didn't happen to you. I hope your whole family came along. But I'm saying there could be somebody here that happened. Your family says, I don't want to associate with you. Jesus says, there is no one. Maybe you lost something else. Maybe you say, I, I made a choice here. I was doing something here for God, and so I couldn't pursue this other thing. Jesus gives a master key for prosperity and increase. He says, I tell you, surely there is no such person. And when I say leaving, that they will not receive a hundredfold. And when I say leaving everything, we look at Abraham. You know, he still brought Lot with him. He had another family. I'm sure he had camels. But he left that whole system. He, he changed attitude. 
He was not going to be a part of just the general plan, what seemed okay in society. He says, I'm going to go with God. And Abraham, therefore, is an example of somebody who actually applied this, and he prospered, not just for a short time. He lived long. You know, have you ever thought about how long Abraham lived? I mean, he lived so long that he was ready to go to heaven, really. He really was, because, you know, he waited for Isaac to be born, and then Isaac was born, and then another was it 37 or 47 years passed by and then Sarah the mother of Isaac she died then he married again and he had six more sons with the next one don't look at me like that it's in the Bible some of you haven't read your Bible, so you don't know. You thought, he just kind of staggered in. One more kid, Isaac is born. That's it. I'm passing out. No. He lived for another 37, I think it's 37 or 47 years with, with I think it's 47 actually, with, with Sarah. And then she passed on. And then he married a woman called Keturah. It's in the Bible. Look it up in your Bible concordance. You'll find out. I'm not making up stories. I don't know how long they were married, but there was a long time. And they at least have six boys. Who knows how many girls they had? They weren't as smart as we are. We count everything today. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. Are you with me? So, so don't, don't get hung up on that. And so Abraham lived this. And I'm saying there's no one. So I'm inviting you today. To, you know, I'm not saying to sell anything or do anything. I'm just saying our attitude is God comes first. And that means a hundredfold blessing. Hundredfold means maximum yield. It's another uh, hyperbole. It's not a hundred times that if you if you give one piece of pie to city mission, somebody's going to bring you a hundred pieces of pie. <laughs> you know, that, that's not that's not what a hundred is a number of completion. Or if you give uh, Nathan Thurber a hundred pies. Could be him. Maybe you say he needs it. He looks so skinny. You're not going to get a hundred pies back. You may get one in your face from Megan, but anyhow, uh, you, you know you're not going to get a hundred back. So, so, so don't let it. Understand? It means completion. Hundred is a number of completion. It means Jesus is saying, "I am making an agreement with you. You have an attitude of, of I'm first. My kingdom is first. My righteousness, not your righteousness. My righteousness is first. And no matter what your age is." No matter what your talent, you're going to get maximum yield. So if you say have a certain talent, you have two talents, well, you're going to get maximum on the two. If you have three, you get maximum on the three. If you have one, if you're one and a half, five, whatever it is, you get maximum. So I say whatever is the maximum. So, for example, if you, are in your, if you are in your 60s right now, don't raise your hand. I'm going to say, well, your, your 70s and 80s could be your best war, time. Oh, praise God. But if you're not in your 60s, you're in your 50s. I say, well, 60 to 90 is going to be the time for you. Oh, glory to God. And if you're not, if you're not in your 50s, if you're in your 40s, I said, oh, the 50s to the 90s. That's the time for you. Come on. And I, on and on and on. I, I'm believing wherever you're at. So if you're 50, you're not going to be 30 suddenly. People say, 50 is the new 30. Yeah, well, whatever. It sounds nice. Put it on your, put it on your screen. <laughs> you know, it sounds like, but, but, but see, where you are, maximum, if you're 89, thank God, you're still here. Let's have a maximum year. Let's have blessing. If you're 99, let's have blessing. Let's have God's maximum. Let's have God's best. Oh, blessed be the name of Jesus. Everybody stand up right now. I'm done talking here. Come on. How many learned something out of this? Did you get something to think about here? And how many would say, 
you say, Peter, I, I believe that I'm seeking first God's kingdom. Well, I'm going to pray what I've talked and thank God for hundredfold maximum yield in your life. Whatever that is, it could be in a relationship, it could be financially, it could be for a business, it could be for a dream that you've had for a long time. It could be, uh, well, to find a spouse. It could be whatever. How many say, I, I believe Jesus Christ is number one. His king, lift up your hand way up. I'm not to brag this. Okay, I'm going to pray because I felt faith in my heart. I see the times. I see where we are heading. I see that we come into times maybe that are not as conducive as they have been. But you are under this guarantee from Jesus. So, Father, I thank you right now. I thank you for every person within the sound of my voice. I thank you. I'm not praying for it, Jesus, since you already promised and guaranteed it. I thank you right now, Lord, for a hundredfold maximum blessing for every person in this section over here. I thank you, Father, for these wonderful people right here. Some are young, some are older. And in this section here, men, women, some of them have suffered Setbacks. Some maybe have gone through a divorce. Some may have faced a bankruptcy. For these here in the center sections, I thank you, Father, for maximum blessing. I thank you, Lord, for maximum yield, for the very best that can possibly be given the talents that you have for them wherever they find themselves. I pray for these in this section. I thank you, Father, for increase. I thank you for a hundredfold maximum yield. I thank you for the blessing of Abraham through Jesus Christ. I pray for these in this section. I thank you for healing. I thank you for wisdom. I thank you for increase. I thank you that the best is yet to come in the name of Jesus. We receive that. You know, this was a big, big setback. Who knows what God's going to do through you? Who knows? You see, I'm not saying God wanted that to happen. I'm just saying wherever you're at today, a lot of things happen in our life that God didn't want or God didn't cause, but wherever you're at, Let's bow our heads right now. I want to invite you to come and receive this new life from Jesus. It's really a new life. If anybody is in Christ, that person is a new creation. Old things pass away. Everything becomes new. If you say, I'm not sure that I really know that my sins are forgiven or that I have peace with God, but I like to receive that and acknowledge it. Or you say, I've drifted away from it. Well, every head is bowed. If you say, Peter, when you pray this prayer of new life, I want to be included. I want to know that my sins are forgiven. If that's you, lift up your hand way up high all over this room. How many would say, yes, I want to be included? Lift your hand way up high. Way up high, wherever you are right now. God bless you over here. God bless you over here. One, two, three, four. God bless you over here. Beautiful, beautiful. I'm going to ask every one of you who lifted your hands, would you mind if I can, please, nobody leave. I'm not going to say lock the doors because that's not how we, how we run it around here. But please stay. I have something very, very important, more important than normal to share afterwards. But I want to ask everybody, everybody who lifted your hand, would you come and meet me right here? Come, 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 come. Give them a big hand while they come. Come, come. God bless you. If you want to come over here, come. I want you. Come, come. Let's give Jesus a big clap. I want some of my prayer partners to come. God bless you. You know, God has a hundredfold life for you. That's, that's what he has. Something powerful. 
Abraham was told, leave it. Leave the, leave the old life. There's a new and better life for you. God bless you. There's a new and better life. I need some more prayer partners to come here. Come on, come on. Edmund, come on over here. Edmund was out there greeting everybody on your way in, and you're still here hanging in. All right, let's pray together right now. Would you say like this? Would you say, Heavenly Father? Everybody join in. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for this new life. I receive it. Christ lives in me. I see it. I believe it. I receive it. I thank you that my sins were put away by Jesus Christ and that God raised Jesus from the dead and I confess with my mouth Jesus Christ is my Lord. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a big praise right now.